I'm just going to pray. Um, there are lots of people in this room who have immediate things going on uh, with their families. And so without mentioning any names, I'm just going to pray a general prayer as we start this next session. So Father, you know what's going on in our lives. You know, um, yeah, you know the, the sorrow and the pain and the depth of feeling that we have, Lord God, and you know that, um, and you know that we long to trust you with it all, and we do trust you with it all. But the pain is still there, and the sorrow is still there. So, Lord, I lift up to you everyone in this room who is facing something right now. Um, I don't have the words because they're all different situations, but I just lift up these people to you, Lord God, and ask you to minister your healing balm, the the healing balm of Gilead, you call it, and ask you, Father, to wrap wrap the hearts in love, hold them close, and enable each one of us to uh, listen to your soft, small voice and to know that you are in control and that you love our loved ones more than we could ever love them and that you will do all that is necessary in the situations that we face. So I praise you, Lord, for who you are and I thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And I ask you now, Father, to be God in all of those situations and to help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so Christ Jesus, the preeminent servant, if you like, the God who became man, um, taught us that, um, that we who believe in him are to follow, I, I don't want to use the word should. If you hear me use the word should, would you raise your hand? I hate the word should for Christians, like we should do this, no. So if I, you hear me say it, raise your hand and I'll confess and repent. Um, yeah, he taught that if we're going to follow, his, follow him, that what we're going to find is that the things that we thought would be really hard for us to do and not hard for us to do, because he is the one who is energizing and enabling and actually creating the desire in us to do what he's asking us to do. Now that is a, is a, a truth, it's a, a thing that human minds cannot accept or understand because it is completely alien to our thinking that something in the, in the flesh I would not want to do, I find myself doing and receiving great joy as I do it. And um, actually when you listen to Jesus in, in those chapters in John where he spent um, time alone with the 11 disciples, Judas has gone, in fact we're going to read uh, John 13, so he's not yet gone, but Jesus will wash the disciples' feet. You all know that chapter, John chapter 13. And reading from verse 3 onwards, he, he talks to them about what it is to follow him, what it looks like. And... Um, And as he gets down to the bottom of that section, um, well, actually, I'm going to read, I won't read from verse 3 onwards because that's when he's going to wash their feet, but from verse 12 of chapter 13 of John. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And I think very often as Christians, we concentrate on the washing of feet, you know, and actually we even have times, don't we, in our churches when we wash one another's feet. It's symbolic of servanthood. It's symbolic of us bowing before another person, not bowing in worship, but bending down before another person and doing something that we wouldn't normally do. And, and hopefully we understand that the only reason, Jesus, or the reason Jesus washed their feet was that that was the role of the lowest person in the household. He would wash the feet of those who came in. So um, it's not that washing feet is the thing, it's that he was willing to take the lowest place and do that. But what really struck me when I read again this, this section was the last verse that I read out. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And uh, I don't know if you, if you know, but the word blessed in the New Testament means to be fully satisfied. If you know these things, you will be fully satisfied if you do them. So think about that. Think about what that means, actually. What is he saying? He's saying, if you know what I'm saying to you, if you understand what I'm saying to you, if you can see the point in this washing of feet, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be fully satisfied if you do the same thing. And that's exactly what I've just said. Humanly speaking, we cannot understand that to make ourselves lower than all the people around us, that could be the thing that actually satisfies us fully. We can't understand that, humanly speaking, because it is outside of human thinking. That is a thinking that only God can give you. If you lower yourself to do the most meaning, uh, no, menial task for someone else, you will find a satisfaction that is bigger and fuller than anything else you've known. That's what he means. And that's the paradox, really, of God. God asks us to live like Christ or to let Christ live through us. And that involves some things that, humanly speaking, we don't think we are going to want to do. God loves you as much as he loves the person you are going to, the person whose feet you're going to wash, let's say. He loves you as much as that person. If you're in his family, he loves you perhaps more because he now adds to the general love of mankind the love he has for his own family. You are his child. He loves you as his most precious child. Now, for you to take that thought that he loves you as his most precious child and see and hear him say, so now as my pre most precious child, I want you to wash the feet of the person next door, that doesn't compute to us in our human thinking. But when you understand that the reason God wants you to wash their feet is because you will be fully satisfied. 
not because they will gain anything necessarily, although they will, but because you will find satisfaction, fullness of joy in the doing of what he has called you to do. When you can understand that, nothing is menial to you. Nothing is too low for you. Nothing is too much to ask you because you really believe that God will bless your socks off in the doing of that thing. Do you see what I mean? If you can reach that understanding, then you will find yourself able to be poured out like a drink offering. You will find yourself able to live for other people. You will find yourself able, actually not just able, you will find yourself running to find the people that need you to be the evidence of Christ on the planet for them. And it won't be hard. I lived in Hong Kong for a while, um, seven years actually, and while I was there, of course, Jackie Pullinger was there. Probably many of you heard of Jackie Pullinger. She is a, was a girl from Croydon, and, and she heard God calling. And so she looked at a map and found Hong Kong and said, oh, I'll go there then. And so she went to Hong Kong and she built a, what they call the walled city in Kowloon, which is just across the harbour um, from the island. And it was full of drug addicts. She, I was, she didn't build it, but she made it better. It was a, a, an area, a one-mile square area, full of drug addicts, criminals, gangs called triads. I mean, just the lowest of the low. And she walked in there alone. I think she went to Hong Kong with 10 pounds in her pocket. She just went to Hong Kong and she ministered to those people. She just ministered to them. She loved them, she cared for them, she gave them the gospel. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Chinese men and women came to know Jesus through her love, through her love. And her testimony is, it wasn't hard. It was her who was blessed. She was blessed. She was fully satisfied in what God had called her to do. And she's quoted as saying, she's written several books, one of which is called Chasing the Dragon. And um, it, I think it's in that book she says, that she said to the Lord, I don't want to waste another day of my life. I want to be spent for you. And actually, when you read the biographies and autobiographies of people who have, like George Muller, who set up the orphanages in Bristol, like Hudson Taylor, who went to China, like um, just all the names, Amy Carmichael, all the people who went, that is their testimony in a nutshell. I don't want to waste another day of my life. I want to live for you. I don't want to waste another day of this 70 years when I have eternity to regret what I didn't do. Today is the day. God's calling today. He's calling today. And it doesn't mean you have to go off with 10 pounds in your pocket and reach Hong Kong and try to copy um, Jackie Pullinger. It doesn't matter that you have, that doesn't mean that you have to go out on the streets in Bristol or wherever you live and give the gospel to the homeless. It doesn't mean that. It just means that today God will say to you before you leave, will you give yourself to me today? Because I can tell you, I will bless you 
beyond your wildest dreams. I will use you in a way that you couldn't imagine. And you will have joy, joy in the using. I've got loads of notes, as you've seen, that I hardly read. But, um, <laughs> you know, I've got a passage, a paragraph here that I wrote now, whilst it's today, more, now more than ever. We need to present to the world the reality of the life of a believer. Now more than ever, the world needs to see Christians be Christians. They need to see people who know Jesus and who have decided they want to know him more. And in whatever sphere, whatever ministry that God calls you to, the word ministry is so grand, isn't it? Desiring truth is a ministry, it's wonderful, but the word ministry just means area of service. That's what it actually means. So in whatever area of service God puts you, you will be fully satisfied if you surrender to him. And I'm not saying that you haven't surrendered at all. I know there are people here who have. But I'm just saying, if you haven't, today's the day. And if you want more, today's the day. And you have to choose it. You have to choose it. Literally choose it. You have to literally say to God, I choose this day to be surrendered to you. I choose from now on, I, I choose to say to you, I will not waste another day. I think I said at the beginning that John, I did, and then I told you to turn to 2 Corinthians, and we didn't even go there, but now we are. 2 Corinthians um, Paul writes to this church and essentially he's going to write the same thing that I've been saying. He's going to write, and the, and the reason I'm saying it is because he said it, um, he's going to write more or less the same thing. He's going to write what it is to be a Christian, to live as a believer, and he's going to make it simple. He's going to present them with some ways that they can understand because this is a church, as I said at the beginning, that is very confused about how to live as Christians. And in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he starts to talk, or he talks about a ministry that he's been given, an area of ministry, and he calls it an area of service, and he calls it a ministry of reconciliation. And basically, he, he's, he compares his ministry to the Old Testament ministry, and he says his is a ministry of the spirit, not of the law. And he gets right down to the end of chapter 3, and he makes a statement, which we, you'll probably know off by heart, but he says in, um, in verse 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lays over their heart. That means whenever the Old Testament is read, people, there's a veil that covers our heart, and we can't understand. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Every single believer is being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. But God has decided that the extent of your transformation will in some way depend on your conscious choice to be transformed. Your justification, your acquittal from your sin, your forgiveness for your sin came about and you did nothing to get it, to gain it, nothing to earn it. You simply said, I believe in Jesus and God instantly justified you. He called you a saint. He said, you will no longer be regarded as a sinner. I will no longer count your sins against you because I have put your sins on Christ and you have said you believe in Jesus Christ. You will trust him. You were justified in Christ. We have all those lovely sayings, justified just as if I never sinned. That's what it's, it is essentially. And then you came into the period of time which for you and me is today. You came into the today of your salvation. And that today of your salvation is sanctification. The, the you growing in the holiness that you already are. Paul will describe it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He will say that he made him who knew no sin, he made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. So in a way, we are becoming what we already are. Christ took our sin, justified us. We are holy in Christ Jesus. But now we're in this period of time called today and we are being made righteous. We are being made righteous in our behavior, in our thinking, in our feeling. That's what's happening. So we are becoming the righteousness of God in him. So Paul's verse, which we all love, that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same glory from glory to glory. We love that verse. But actually, if you're not beholding as in a mirror, you're probably not being transformed as fast as you might be. The beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, is you focusing on Jesus and on the changes that you see he is bringing about in your life. And what you do with that is that you end up glorifying God. Glorifying God. So Paul, will, he'll say there, we're all being transformed. And then he'll use the word therefore in chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. And then he will go on to talk about some things that have happened. Uh, could somebody read chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 6, please? Renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it 
is dead to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Okay. So he begins with a, a therefore. What, what, what does he mean? Therefore what? What does he say? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we don't get discouraged. Therefore, we remain as we are. What were his reasons to be discouraged? Many, many. You just have to read chapter 1 and chapter 2 to see there were many, many reasons. What are your reasons to be discouraged? <laughs> seriously seriously if you look at yourself oh my goodness that's the biggest reason to be discouraged if you look at yourselves what will you see <laughs> yeah exactly Trelone. there's a girl after my own heart if you look at yourself you'll see yourself oh no what's the worst thing if you look at yourself you'll see weakness if you look at yourself you'll see failure if you look at yourself you'll see a person who's not where they want to be if you look at yourself, you'll see a person who doesn't deserve anything from God. If you look at yourself, you will want to give up. If you look at your circumstances, they'll be too hard. If you look at your fear, it will be too overwhelming. If you look at all the things in your human life, you will lose heart. So what does he He's saying, therefore, because what? We do not lose heart. Therefore, since we have this ministry, since we have this ministry, what ministry did he have? He had a ministry to preach the gospel. He had a ministry to shine the light of Christ into the lives of people around him. He had a ministry to open up the door of salvation. And because he had that ministry, that was more to him than all of the rest of the reasons to be discouraged. Now, I want to ask you a serious question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I want to ask you to think about this and write it down if you have to or just think about it over lunch. Do you really, 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 really think that God would use you in this glorious ministry of the gospel? And do you really, 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 really believe that it is worth more than all of the difficulties of your life? And I... You know, it probably will depend what's happening now in your life. <laughs> that might change your uh, answer a little bit. But don't skip over that question. Think about that thing. Think about that as you, as you go from here. Think about that at lunchtime. Do you really, really believe that God will use you? That he actually longs to use you in his ministry? that he has specifically made you as you are, Trelane, to use you 
in his ministry. I'm using you because you said you don't want to look at yourself like me. So, yeah. So, will you really believe that? Trust it. If you really believe that, if your answer is yes, because Kim's answered yes, because it just comes out of her. She can't help it. So. <laughs> so, she's answered yes. If your answer is really yes, then how much time have you spent in the last 24 hours thinking about your life? And how much time have you spent thinking about your ministry? That's another real question. And you can't answer it. it you don't answer it out loud. Just think about it. How much time was in my head, was my headspace taken up with things in my own life, circumstances, difficulties, trials, weaknesses, whatever. How much time was spent there? rather than, Lord, you are a glorious God and you're going to take me on and I'm going to minister in your power and with your enabling and by your spirit and I am going to do this and I'm going to go there and, and ask, asking him, where shall I go, Lord? What shall I say? Where shall I do it? What did Paul know for sure about if he decided to, to think like that, what was he sure about? Yeah? I need specifics, Barbara. What, what, what was he absolutely positive about? If God had given him this ministry, what was he sure of? God would enable him. Who said that? God would enable him. That it was what he, God, yeah, what else? Hey? He would be blessed. He would be fully satisfied if he did it. And? It would make a difference in other people's lives, yeah. He would be full of joy, yeah. What else? He could not fail. He could not fail. If you decide for Christ today, you cannot fail. Deciding for Christ is the thing. The follow-up, the how you do it and when you do it and whether you forget tomorrow and, or have five minutes when you don't think about it, that's not it. It's the deciding, I am going to go for God. I am surrendering to him and I am trusting that he will remind me when I'm going off track, that he will pull me back when I've gone too far away, that he will keep on keeping on with me. Why, why would you trust that that is going to happen? I really want us to be sure of this because you have to be sure of it because if you are afraid to fail, you will never take that first step. If you are thinking that anything about you could bring about failure in this ministry, you will never start. You will stand at the edge all the time I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. I wish I was like Kate. I mean, she can do it. I'd love to do it. But I'm just afraid. And I, I mean, there's just so much stuff going on in my life. And if you knew, if you knew what I'm like, you wouldn't say you can do it. Seriously, if you believe that God has called you to this ministry, and if you tell me, which you did, that he enables those who he calls, then you should know that you know that you know that you know that you cannot 
fail. You cannot fail. You might make mistakes. You might get knocked down. You probably will. But you're the whole point of success and failure, success is that you want to do God's will. If you want to do God's will, you have already come into an area called success. You have already done the hard part. Now, will you have to remind yourself, of course, we're human beings. We just get lost all the time, don't we? We get distracted and, you know, you turn on the TV and who's God? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You just forget so easily. Someone phones you up and, or you hear some bad news and you just get knocked around. But if you've decided and if you meant it, then God will hold you to it. He will hold you to it and he will hold you in it and he will make sure that you go on through it. And the thing is, even as I say it, I'm thinking, is that really true, Lord? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that really true? Because there are lots of people who, who seem to, you know, fall over a lot. And what's the answer to that? The answer to that is nothing about me and it's nothing about my faith. It is all about God. He who began a good work in me will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also sanctified. And those who he sanctified, he also glorified. It is done and dusted. If I was justified, I will be glorified. I am glorified. The sanctification cannot fail because it's all about God and not about me. But the blessing from it and the joy from it and the peace in it and the usefulness of it and the ministry of it out there will decrease or increase insofar as you surrender. That's an alarm, but nobody looks alarmed. <laughs> but it is an alarm, but don't worry, it's, it's done. <laughs> No, it's, it's, um, they, they're trying to work out the alarm on the shop and they've just closed the shop. So if you didn't order your sandwich, oh my goodness, you're in trouble. You should be alarmed if you didn't order your sandwich. Okay, so, and there's one final reason also, and I got this from a quote, I can't remember where from, but I'll just read it to you as it is. There was a Methodist preacher who was very discouraged and he wrote to the great Scottish preacher, Alexander White, and he asked him, should he leave the ministry? because he was really discouraged. And the answer back to him from this uh, Alexander White was, never think of giving up the ministry. The angels around the throne envy you, your work. This is the reality of our life. Angels look at us and are in awe and envious. Where did he get that from? Because that's what we're all good Bible students. We want to know where he got it from. He got it from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. That the manifold wisdom of God is made known in the heavenly places through the church. That angels rejoice as they see us living for God. Does it matter how many people you speak to? Does it matter how many conversions you see? Does it matter 
whether you just cut someone's grass or give them a lift or whatever you do, does any of that matter? No. Why not? Exactly. Because you're doing it for the Lord. And what's happening when you do it? Yeah, you're glorifying him and you are being fully satisfied. And you are knowing. Yeah, say that again, Maureen, because I can't. Yes, exactly. Well, he's being through you. He's being through you. Yeah. Okay, now Paul will go on in this chapter and he'll talk about some things that he deliberately stops doing. He says he's renounced um, the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So there are things that he does, he renounces things that he would otherwise have done. He, he makes sure that his life is, is he's open that he opens up his life to everybody and he can say to anybody, you can look at me and if you find something in me that is not of God, I want you to tell me because I don't want to live a life that doesn't please God. So what else do you know about a servant from that? The life of a servant, the one, and he's called himself a servant of a ministry. So what else do you see from that? What is a servant like? No, that's all about something. What else is a, is a servant? Yeah, selfless. All oh, that's kind of we got there. Transparent. A servant is transparent. And a servant is not afraid to be vulnerable, to make themselves vulnerable. A servant is not afraid to be accountable. A servant is not afraid for you to know about them. A servant can say, you know what, there's a lot of stuff in me that I still know I need to work on with the Lord's help, but I'm working on it. I don't care what you know about me. Honestly, I really don't. Because I know a lot worse stuff about me than you know. (laughs) Really. But, But the reality is, if you are afraid of what people think of you, You have stuff in your life you haven't let go of. And and the Lord is saying to us, you know, I can use you more fully when you are more transparent. I can pour out through you when there's nothing getting in the way. That's what Paul's doing. I've renounced the things of shame. I've... um, I'm not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And he'll go on. Our gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this world does not want people to come to know Jesus. So actually, when you give the gospel to 10 people, 10 people will probably say, oh, no thanks. And when you give it to 20 Maybe 19 of them will say, no thanks. Because the God of this world is being very successful in in blinding the minds of the unbelieving. Why do you think that is, partly? Because believers don't live like believers. Because the church doesn't look like the church. Because we don't have that, that joy and that blessedness and that satisfaction from being as Jesus was because the face we present is fake 
Because we do have preachers adulterating the word of God and we do have people walking in craftiness. And that might be you, I don't know. Christians do more damage to the name of Christ than than unbelievers. Because we're so afraid. We're just so afraid. Paul says he's done all of those things. He says that Satan is successful, that in the... uh, uh, the God of this world is, say, is successful because he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants, your servants, not Christ's servants, your servants. Can you imagine the man who wrote almost half of the New Testament writing to a church like Corinth? where they were involved in all sorts of sin, where there was all sorts of disruption and disputes, where there was false teaching, where there was all this going on, and he's actually saying, we are your servants. I mean, could you do that? He, this, he's this wonderful man of God who's given up everything and surrendered all to the Lord and walking around most of the Roman Empire to take the gospel out. He's given his life for the Lord Jesus. He wants nothing else. I consider my life as no account, he says in Acts. My life is of no account, but that I might fully um, finish the work of the gospel. And he's writing to probably the worst church in the whole New Testament. He's writing to them saying, we're your bondservants. I'm your bondservant. Well, I mean, stand up, no, don't, but, you know, really, who of us could stand up and say the same thing? Pick your worst church. Pick the worst place that you know, where believers are running around in sin, where they're, they don't know the left from the right, where their doctrine is all wrong, where they're just worshipping stuff they shouldn't be worshipping, where they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. Pick that place and deliberately attend that congregation. And deliberately walk in the door and say, I want to serve. So how many's coming? Paul says that for the, the glory of Christ, for the one out of 500 where he sees God say, let there be light and there be light in that person where he sees the, the veil ripped off, where he sees people actually know the reality of Christ, that is worth more to him than all of the other stuff he had. Is that worth that for you and me? I'm saying you, I mean me too. Really? Is that how I would assess my life? You know, I have to say honestly that when we first started Desiring Truth, when was that, 2010? We just, it, God started it. We didn't start it. Well, you know, we did. No, God started it. And, um, you know, we used to have 10 people pitch up. And I have to say, I was really disappointed. And I would cry out to God, you know, why, why? Why won't you bring more people? You know, I mean, this is fantastic teaching. Why won't you bring more people? <laughs> 
And of course, you know why I didn't bring more people. No, but I mean, I did used to say, we all used to say, why are people not coming? Why are they not coming, you know? Until, and, and you know, I would pray all the time, Lord, it doesn't matter how many people. It really doesn't matter how many. I just wouldn't mind 50, but it's okay. And, and I, I didn't mean it. I mean, I thought I meant it, but I didn't really. Because we measure success in, in, in people. We do. We just measure it that way. And it wasn't until, honestly, and I can't tell you the date, but one in one of my journals, honestly, one day I said, okay, I'll give up. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Five people, that's okay. Five people's fine. And he filled the place. I'm not joking. He filled the place so much so that I thought we had to move. I thought I was being honest. I thought I was serving the Lord. I thought I was wanting to, you know, minister. But actually, it was all about me. It was all about me. I could cry now when I think of the years I wasted of all being about me. And I, I can't say that's all gone. It isn't. There's still bits of that left in me. And there's loads of it in you. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I don't know you well enough to say that. But there will be that in you too. Because we're, we're, we're fighting this battle, if you like, between the flesh, between our nature and the way we've always assessed things and the perspective we've always had. And we're trying to get over to this perspective and seeing things from God's point of view and, and being honest with him and really knowing that, that he is, I am doing the will of the Father and that I really am pleasing to God and that he really wants me to do this. But one thing I've noticed when I look back on all of it is that God blessed me even with the 10 and the 5, that before I got there, I would be screaming at him about why he wasn't bringing more people. But when I was doing it, oh my goodness, the blessing was amazing. He blessed me even though my motives were shot to pieces. <laughs> even though I was in the wrong place, he blessed me. God blesses you. He blesses you. He can't do anything else. He is a blessing God. And Paul knew that. So what he's going to go on to now is his description of the minister, the servant. And this is really where um, I think that it's the most interesting, actually. Could somebody read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 12, please? Thank you, Barbara. Um, he's going to go on with just actually one more verse, Barbara, to 15, please. Um, 
all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound with the glory of God. Thank you. Okay, so he's gone from describing the ministry itself to describing himself and the people who have the ministers, the servants. What's your overriding impression of the minister, the servant? How does he describe them? How does he begin? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's an earthen vessel? A clay pot. A clay pot. What does he mean when he says earthen vessel? Very ordinary, yeah, nothing glorious. Why, why, um, why is he making that point? In those days, they used to store yes, but what, what's, what's, the, what's the point he's making in there? It's not about us. And actually, um, you have a treasure in you, a treasure worth more than Fort Knox. But it's not about the vessel that you are. It's about the treasure that's inside. And then what does he say has happened to him and why? Yeah. Exactly. And how has God shone through then? Maybe that's the better question. How has God shone through according to these verses? Yeah, what adversities? He says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, What's the point he's making? How is the, the treasure that is within him being shown? Yes and no. So how, how does God show the glory of himself in the vessel, the earthen vessel that we are? Yeah, hope. Yeah. So what, exactly, even though we have that. So you see, what he's talking about happens to everybody. Everybody's afflicted. Everybody gets crushed. Everybody gets perplexed. Everybody gets this and that. He's talking about his own ministry, and that came to him because he was in this ministry. But life is life, and we all suffer those things, and everybody has difficulty. But what he's saying here is the glory of God is not shown in the fact that he's, he's just triumphant all the time and he never has those things. The glory is shown in the fact that he does have those things, but he conquers or he comes through so I'm afflicted but not what is it he said I'm afflicted uh, but not crushed I'm perplexed but I don't despair so I don't understand everything that's happening in my life but I'm not despairing because I know that God does I'm persecuted but it doesn't matter because I know I'm not forsaken and that's the witness. If you think that the witness of God is that your life is always perfect, well, I'm sorry, it isn't. The biggest witness of God in your life is that when your life is not perfect, he is perfect in you. And that you have that joy and that uh, peace and 
Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. All God's giants have been weak people. That's a truth of scripture. It's a truth of life. Diana, are you going to say something? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not everybody will have heard Diana. She said that the more suffering we go through, the more crushing, the more affliction, the more God's power is shown in and through our lives. But you, we had to do something. You see, he, when he got perplexed, he had to make a choice. What was his choice? Not to despair. Not to lose heart. So what did he hang on to? Hope in God, yeah. Yes. What is, what's hope? In God, what is hope? If you want your lunch, you better answer quick. <laughs> Trust, yeah, hope. But the hope is a confident expectation that God will be who God says he is and that I am going where he says I'm going. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I never complain. <laughs> no, why do we? I don't know. I don't know. Because we're human beings and, and we're fighting that battle. Um, and the thing is, as Diana has just said, uh, the very same difficulty or trial or test is the method and the means by which God brings the biggest blessing. I wish he would do it another way, <laughs> but he doesn't. Um, okay, I just don't know what I'm going to do about my notes. I just <laughs> what time did we start again? It's nearly an hour, isn't it? Okay. Okay. Okay, well, I don't know. What am I going to do? So we're going to have lunch. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Brian, would you stand up at the back and say grace? Would you mind? Or, you know, pray for us before we eat. Amen. So I think we'll come back about quarter to two if that's okay. That's an hour. Is that all right? It doesn't matter. I'll be back here at quarter to two. And then we'll start again. Thanks. <laughs> With my notes. Yeah.